So Psalm 107, and it's on page 588. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom. Prisoners suffered in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of the Lord and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he rejected them to bitter labour. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thanks offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord and his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a, waste, into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yield a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. 
Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. As we come to God's word, let's, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a wonderful God. We give thanks to you, Lord, for you are good and your love endures forever. Lord, we praise you that you're eternal. We praise you for your word, which is eternal. We thank you, Lord, that you've gathered us in from the far lands, from the east and the south and the north and the west. We thank you that we no longer wander in the wastelands because of what Christ has done for us. And we thank you particularly, Lord, at Christmas time as we remember just the wonderful detail of your salvation plan in Christ. Help us this morning, Lord, to, um, to be open to your word. Speak to us, we pray. Let it settle on us and change us, that we too might be wise and give thanks to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what a great psalm. We, um, I love the way it starts. And really, for me, the, the key verses of this psalm, and there's so many to choose from. Uh, for a start, when I was thinking about this, it could well have been verse 30. They were glad when it grew calm. I, as a landlubber, sworn landlubber, I, I am very glad when the sea stopped pitching. But really, the great verses here, it's all summarised in the first three verses and the last couple. But we'll get to that. Let's, um, let's move into it. Have you ever been to a, a major international airport and had to find your, your way from, one, from an arrival lounge to a departure lounge through a check-in and they're kilometres apart? Anyone been to, to Changi Airport in Singapore? It's exactly like that. The thing's about oh, 15 kilometres or more between there and there. And if you're like me, you'll book a flight with about 10 minutes in between that you've got to make. And so that, that's what happened to me. Earlier on this year, I, I, went, I passed through Singapore and I had less than an hour to catch a connecting flight to Sydney. And it was like three in the morning and I'd just flown out of Bangladesh. had pretty chaotic. And... Um, I actually had to locate the railway line and then I had to find you know, which, car, which uh, gate to get out of. I had to find someone to help me and trust they could understand Australian. It, um, I knew what it meant to be, a long, to be lost a long way from home in need of assistance, in need of outside help. And I knew, also knew if I didn't make the decision straight away, I'd never find my way to the correct check-in. I'd probably still be there. So for me at that moment, this was a little bit like being in a wasteland, far away, and needing to find the, uh, the, the way home. Psalm 107 addresses our, our need for God's helping hand, our need for God's assistance, our need for God to save and deliver us. It's a, it's a great psalm of the goodness of God revealed through his deliverance and rescue. It does this uh, through four... Uh, fairly common and easily identifiable scenarios. The scenarios of being lost, of being in captivity, of being in sick or in poor health, and then being in distress at sea. 
Well, maybe being in distress at sea may not be such a common calamity for everybody, but as I was saying, a good dose of seasickness makes the whole world seem like a calamity, and um, anywhere but on that boat would be preferable. I remember recently I read about, um, talking about disasters at sea, I read a really striking book about the um, about a German military transport that was sunk during the Second World War. It was a Wilhelm Gustloff. And I'd never heard of this, and you mightn't have either. It's fascinating history. And it was, it was when, when the, the, the Red Army was bearing down on East Prussia and, uh, and all the, the German soldiers and refugees and, and evacuees were basically trapped by the pincer movement of the Red Army. And the Red Army was not to be trifled, though. It was a horrendous situation. So much so that the only, the only thing on their minds was to escape Germans, evacuees, uh, East Prussians, which is now part of Russia. All they, could, all they could do really was to get out. And so the German army lined up a, a series of ships and they boarded the, the people on these ships. And the, the Wilhelm Gustloff had a capacity of about 1,600 people and they had 10,500 on there. The, the ship was you know, packed to capacity, so much so that there was... Yeah, the ship was bearing down in the water. Anyway, that ship only made it 10 hours into its voyage before it was sunk. And uh, the loss of life turned out to be the, the largest ever loss of life in a maritime disaster. Nearly 10,000 people. Can you imagine the, you know, the 40 or 50 minutes between when the first torpedo hit to the, the sinking of the ship? Just the distress and the, you know, the disaster that was overwhelming them. Now, to get into the mindset of being a sailor in distress at sea, yesterday morning I took my little 14-foot runabout out into the lake for a spin, and you know what the, the weather was like yesterday morning, the wind, anybody go outside? Uh, we had red dust, that's pretty common for us. And out of the lake, the waves, as soon as I got there, I could see the white caps, so I don't even know why I tried, but out I went, and you know, little boat, crash, 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 three laps, and it was time to head, head for the bank before I sank. Uh, probably a fairly minor dose of uh, being in distress at sea. But transpose that into a proper storm and you have people in distress and being in distress on, on the, the water is terrible. I hate it. Psalm 107 is a call to everybody facing dis- disaster, catastrophe, devastation or bewilderment. And it, it shapes and it directs the words in our lips when we face our own disasters, catastrophes and devastation. It shapes our cries, our prayers, our groanings as we so, turn to the Sovereign Lord, the creator and author of history, the source of life and eternity. So let's consider this psalm. Verses 1 to 3 is a call to recognise the goodness of God, to grab fast to it, to hold on to it and never let it go, to cling to him as the one immovable object in all of creation. Now, it's important to cling to an immovable object, isn't it? Just take young Jackson for an example. What did he cling to? A movable object. Did it help him? No. Verses 1 to 3 is a call to cling to God, an immovable and loving and good and kind God, whose love endures forever, therefore immovable. And when it's paired with the closing verses, it becomes a big idea of the entire psalm. It's a call to give thanks and to be wise, to recognise and, and um, grab hold of 
and cling to God's goodness, both generally to all people and particularly and especially to his redeemed children, that is, those who've put their faith in his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, most of us, or perhaps all of us at some stage, will know when they've been blessed or favoured by the kind hand of God. Indeed, it's become very fashionable on social media to you know, take to the airwaves and share how blessed one is feeling. I think there's even emoticons for it. It's become the thing to do. Psalm 107 opens with a call of the redeemed, those who know it from first-hand experience, what it is to have been put back on their feet by the kind, merciful intervention of God. It's a call for the redeemed of God who know his goodness to publicly declare their thanks and appreciation for his enduring love. And I think that's what Heath was doing this morning, publicly declaring the kindness of God and how, what it means to him, giving a public declaration. starts off by saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those who is redeemed from the hand of the foe, those who is gathered in from the lands, from all points of the compass. Then the psalm concludes with the same call, whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of God. God's people are wise when they pay close attention to God's greatness, as seen in his many acts of, of deliverance and rescue, of direct intervention in the lives and affairs of his people. Both in the times of old when the psalm was written and, and pitched to, and in our world today. Even in adversity, or perhaps especially in times of adversity, the people of God learn to trust and depend on, on his sovereign reliability. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? As we go, walk through life, every, every time the rubber hits the road, good, bad, or in, somewhere in between, we learn to depend on God's reliability which is always there. The psalm concludes with a a clear distinction between the wise and the fool. The fool rages at calamity. He rages and shakes his fist at misfortune or when things don't go quite right and therefore blinds himself to God's availability and willingness to act out of his love. Whereas the wise person holds tight to God's word and stores them in his heart or her heart. Four different portrayals of distress and deliverance are presented in this psalm, starting with being lost in the wastelands. So, uh, verse 4 talks about being lost, being directionless, uprooted or homeless, of having no city for community living, uh, having no city for protection, of being banished to the wastelands, of food running out, of water running low, of life ebbing away. Life losing its meaning due to having no purpose or focus. Think of the, the, the existence of what it must be like in refugee camps around the world, the temporary transit communities that spring up, massive communities that spring up during times of war and uh, generally are anything but temporary. They last and they, they just have to remain there for years. Think of the, you know, the stateless Rohingya people escaping persecution in Myanmar by crossing out of one hotspot into one of the world's poorest countries in Bangladesh. The huge camps in Chad, home up to, of up to 250,000 refugees fleeing insurgency in, in the Darfur region of Sudan. 
the immense Dadaab camp in North Kenya, home to about 330,000 people, Somalians. Daily experience of poverty and boredom and, and hopelessness and waiting, lostness. That's a long list of these camps. Psalm 107 reassures us that God hears the, the cries of, his, of people in trouble and that his deliverance, deliverance is unique in that he supplies the needs of all who call out to him. He promises to lead people along straight paths. He settles people in safety and community. He shows his unfailing love and wonderful deeds. He satisfies the hungry with good things. Well, this raises difficult questions, doesn't it? For as long as the wickedness and godlessness of man continues and keeps up, the consequences of this wickedness in terms of displacement and suffering is guaranteed. Where then do we see God's unfailing love? Are we expecting too much of God in this psalm? Is the psalm accurate? Is, God, is the psalmist talking about a different deliverance, one that is yet to come? The psalm shows us that God is active and engaged with every minute detail and situation of those walking through the wastelands. The fact that uh, we can cross through a wasteland in, uh, out to the other side is in itself an evidence of God's goodness. If we didn't cross through a wasteland, we'd languish in it. We'd stay there, never leave. But God's promise is that we can cross through a wasteland. You don't survive in a desert by aimlessly wandering about. You survive it by crossing through to the other side. And that is the deliverance described in verses 7 and 9. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. He satisfies the thirsty and gives good food to the hungry. God is active in the here and now, in the near and present. Think about the parable that Jesus told about the lost sheep. This is the heart of God. The heart of God that's portrayed in the, the shepherd leaving the 99 in order to find the one so that that, pers- that sheep, that person, can be found and be saved. God's heart is that none should be lost. God's heart is that we don't isolate ourselves and live in the wasteland and, and absent ourselves and live in the, the wilderness. God's heart is that we return to him. Therefore he chose to send his son from the glory of heaven to be born as a baby in our world, in our insecure and dangerous world, to grow up and live, in a, sin, live a sinless life in our world and ultimately to perish at the hand of sinful man that we might exchange our sin for his glory. That's the amazing story of Christmas and Easter rolled into one that God delivers us from the worst imaginable desert wasteland by giving us or handing over the life of his perfect son so that our sin-tainted selves might have our sins forgiven and be remembered no more. So God does, us, does much more than, than meet us in the desert. He saves us from eternal separation from himself by dealing with the greatest problem, that is our sin, and dealing with it once and forever. His unfailing love is manifest in that he delights to forgive all who will turn to him and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, his son, our Lord. His wonderful deeds are that he turns his enemies into his children and heirs. What a transition that is. He reveals himself to all people and accepts and satisfies all who turn to him. He satisfies everybody who hungers for and thirsts for righteousness and calls them blessed. In verses 10 to 16, the psalmist portrays the lostness of being in captivity, of being 
locked away in the gloomy places is a direct consequence of rebelling against the word of God. This description is very recognisable. Phrases like deepest gloom, sitting in darkness, prisoners in iron chains, bitter labour, distress and trouble, no help at hand. And I'm, I'm reading from those verses where it says, Some sat in darkness in deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they have rebelled against the words of God and despise the counsel of the Most High. Well, the suffering is, is you know, it's pretty clear there. We can see the picture very clearly. And the reason is given, and that's clear as well, the reason for their suffering is given as having rebelled against the word of the Lord or despising his counsel. It's not hard to think of a time where this has played out uh, in front of us. And I think the Trump administration is a pretty good example, uh, characterised by people speaking out against the president and um, the president and being summarily sacked or pushed to one side, rebel against the word of the leader and cast into darkness, cast out of, out of um, the administration in the case of this example. Well, that's only a present-day political example, but the word of the Lord... That's a different story. The word of God, the word is the power of God in creation. Remember the words from uh, John chapter 1. This is the word that they're rebelling against. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with, with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So to rebel against the word really is a serious thing and it's no wonder that the alternative to submitting to the word is to be finding yourself in darkness and in chains. The word of God is God. The word of God is equally described as being Jesus. He's the, the, um, the, the focus of what is being rebelled against, the substance. Rebelling against the word of God is to directly reject God himself and to reject his greatest gift to mankind in Jesus. To reject the word of God is to reject the light of men and to reject the light is like switching it off. That is to choose for gloom and darkness instead. To despise the counsel of the Most High is like blocking your ears to the compelling promise contained in the words of life in the good news about Jesus. Uh, that's the that's mistake we make when we despise the counsel of God. We despise and reject his promises of salvation. And what's the outcome of despising the word of God? Therefore he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled and there was no one to help them. In a little bit like uh, we find in Romans 1, God leaves the rebels to their, their own devices to find out why, what life is like without his love. What is it going to be like? And what is it going to be like? Well, the psalmist paints a bleak picture of chains, of ceaseless, meaningless, of labour, of futility, of isolation. When we isolate ourselves from God, we are totally isolated. And it's an isolation that gnaws away at our inner peace, gnaws away at our well-being, and it gnaws away at our security, both in the here and now, and, and, that, and the, um, the prospect of a dreadful and terrifying eternity apart from God. Verses 13 to 16 shows us the, the, um, the wonderful mercy of God responding to this situation, this lostness. Yet the Lord heard their cries for help, the cries of those in distress, and could not forget or abandon his people. 
This is where we see God acting unexpectedly according to our standards, but totally in keeping with his own. Because we as enemies, we don't deserve his attention or much less his grace or his love. And yet God reacts and responds by showing us his grace and his love. God acts pretty much as he promised he would, forgiving the sins of the fathers, the third and fourth generation of those who love him, being true to himself. Now Jonah got the grumps for this exact reason. He knew that God would be like this, that he would forgive the Assyrians. In fact, he was so sure of it that that God could not not forgive them that he fell into despair over it. It's an unusual reaction. It's like saying, God, you're so predictable. Good thing for us, us who beg his forgiveness. God heard their cries and brought them out of their deepest gloom and broke their chains. Reminds you of that great hymn, doesn't it? My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose and went forth and followed thee. Again, the call of the psalmist that God's people respond appropriately to the great love and kindness in the goodness and wonderful deeds of the Lord, delivering his redeemed ones. In verse 15 and 16 it says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for men. He breaks down the gates of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron. The next scenario given in this psalm is of the foolish rebels being inflicted by sickness unto death. It says, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all foods and drew near the the gates of death. They are called fools because they grew comfortable, even happy and content in their sin, and accordingly they grew cold towards God. Consequently, the psalmist says, they got crook, they went off their food, they hovered at death's door. And in their misery, they cried out to God for mercy and healing. In this day and age, in common language, we, we speak of putting the suffering out of their misery. Fortunately, we're usually only talking about animals when we say this. But lately, the phrase has found its way into and found traction amongst the freedom of choice movement. And now it's called voluntary euthanasia. It's the world's idea of being merciful in the, to the dying. It's completely completely different to what God does. God, uh, Psalm 107 shows us what true mercy is and how God, God arrives to, to um, provide help to the suffering. The sick cry out to God, and what does the Lord of heaven do? He saves them from their distress. And through trusting in Christ, he, uh, we're promised perfect and eternal healing. Perfect and eternal He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. The grave cannot hold God's redeemed children as his word is powerful to save us even even from the grave. God's word in in, uh, the midst of being sick is a precious thing. It's exactly what we need. I found myself in hospital two or three years ago after an unsuccessful swan dive off a ladder. Good swan dive but no points for the landing. So two broken wrists and a spell in hospital. But um, it was an opportunity to, um, to experience it firsthand. No pun. <laughs> it was a great opportunity to experience God's kindness when I was really low. And uh, talk to me about it later, but it really, that was a, uh, an experience that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And it really came to a, a culmination when it, 
when some lovely person read the scriptures to me when I was in bed and low and miserable and hands in a sling. And I really appreciated how God drew near to me through his word when I was at my lowest. I found out that I needed to be ministered to in many ways, but God's word was one thing I needed. God's nearness in my low state was really important. And it was a blessing to know that I could cry out to him and he heard me. And his word had delivered me from my, um, my, my shock and my distress. Look at how God helps the dying. He saves them. He sends forth his word. He rescues them from their distress. It's an eternal picture. He rescues them from the grave. God's agenda and God's designs are far beyond our limits to understand, far beyond the, the, the ability of the temporal world to measure. He, but his healing is complete and it's eternal. He rescues, his rescue extends uh, far beyond the checkout desk of the hospital. His means are without measure or limitation. He settles for nothing than life eternal for those that he rescues from the grave. We know his word of healing in verse 20 as being the, the essence or the framework of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, where whosoever believes in him will not perish, will not be abandoned to the grave, but have everlasting life. Do you know this Lord Jesus yourself, whose humble birth we celebrate at Christmas as, uh, as the Emmanuel, God with us, the Christmas miracle but meticulously and graciously planned by God from before the, the creation of the world. If you do know, well then let's give thanks to the Lord and give thanks for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds in Christ. Let all who know his salvation tell of his works with songs of joy. And finally, this last scenario of God's deliverance that speaks to those who are, who are lost at sea. It's been a, it's such a comfort to sailors all over the world. Others went out to the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They staggered and reeled like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. These verses are a tremendous demonstration of God's power to calm and control the oceans. If it was me and I was out there with the merchants, I'd consider the calming of the oceans the miracle of miracles. If I lived when the tossing of the waves had me convinced that death was near, it would be the most effective miracle for me. I once was on a ferry crossing between the South Isle and the North Isle of New Zealand. Has anyone ever done that trip? No, don't. If <laughs> don't do it if you're planning it. Because uh, they'll sail that boat in just about any weather, you know. And uh, I spent the whole journey, which is only a couple of hours, searching through the vessel to find the, the room that pitched the less. Because the rest of it was just terrible. Another time when we were... Um, I made a few trips over to South Australia. I was going over there quite a bit. And I used to... Um, instead of driving up to Port Augusta, 
and then down into the Air Peninsula. I used to drive to Wallaroo, and you could get on a car ferry at Wallaroo and cross over to Lucky Bay, which is near Cleve. So it sort of took about four hours of driving off the trip, and you could sit still and relax for those four hours instead of being behind the wheel. Anyway, if you look on their website today, that, 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 that service is still advertised, even though I don't think it's, it's being run anymore, but there's pictures of smiling children and calm, tranquil waters. Don't believe it. <laughs> don't, don't believe it. One trip I made, it was so wild that I figured that the, the, the safest place and the smoothest ride would be in the seat of my car up on the car deck. So I got out of the, you know, the, the, the cabin where all the passengers are and I grabbed the cling rail. I don't think you're actually allowed to do this. But I went down and I crossed over and got into my car and there was surf crashing on the windscreen. Oh. Psalm 107 would have been perfect for me. Yet in, it's, our God's love and power is to save is effective even in the midst of, the, of a stormy sea. The psalm says that by the word of the Lord the, the merchants on the sea are saved. And by the, it's by the power... God's power over creation that he can do this and that we are rescued and that's how all of our rescues are affected by God's sovereign and total power by our greatest rescue is by God's provision of his beloved son Jesus his death in our place is a justification for our sins and the perfect assurance we can now have now, it's, it's worth remembering Jesus, at this point, it's worth remembering Jesus' own demonstration of his power over the, the seas. Remember when, the, when Jesus and the disciples boarded the boat and they had to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and suddenly they're, they're caught in a furious storm. Jesus is up the front asleep on a pillow. All the disciples are going nuts because the boat's about to sink. So they shake him and wake him up and they ask him if, they, if he even cared that they are about to drown. In keeping with Psalm 107, Jesus demonstrates the same power and majesty over the created order that God does, silencing the storm with a word. It's a great parallel. They cried out to the Lord in their distress and he brought them out of trouble. This is what the Lord has done. Let us praise him. Let, us, let the condition of our hearts be such that we can humble ourselves and call out to God. Let our hearts not be hard, that in our sin we are fiercely unable to call out to God who loves to rescue us. And I think that's a real black and white comparison that this psalm is giving us. Some cannot call out to God because of the hardness of their hearts. They are the fools. And yet others, in whatever the, the, um, you know, the disaster or catastrophe is, they can. God has softened their hearts. God has made it possible for them to, to seek his rescue. So the psalm, it carries through through another great portrayal of um, renewal, of God renewing the land, renewing the vines, uh, turning the desert into pools of water. That's a wonderful picture. Showing the power of God over created order that we might be rescued. Increasing numbers and then contrast it with when things go off the rails and numbers decrease and they're humbled but in all of it he lifts the needy out of their affliction the upright see and rejoice but the wicked shut their mouths and that's the great comparison or not the great the important comparison so getting back to where we started I think this psalm is really it's all zeroing in on this final point where it says whoever is wise let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord 
The upright see and rejoice, but the wicked shut their mouths. Have you considered the many ways God has shown his mercy and his greatness to you? Have you considered the amazing act of the Lord Jesus in leaving the glory of heaven to be born a baby and grow up in our fallen world for you? Have you um, considered the magnificence of God's rescue plan in the gospel where Jesus, who lived a perfect, sinless life, willingly gave it up as a ransom for many? In fact, a ransom for all who would trust in him. Have you considered the impact of, of Jesus' sinless life offered as full payment for your own sin, your own sinful life, and, and the penalty of it? Have you considered what this means for you and what your response to Jesus really must be? Have you considered how greatly God loved you when you were still far from him, opposed to his rule, and therefore setting yourself up as his enemy? That even then, when you were his enemy, when you were in the wasteland, when you were in the midst of your own personal sin-filled disaster, that he died on the cross for your salvation. That's the big question of this psalm, isn't it? Have you considered God's wonderful love and his wonderful deeds for you personally? And finally, have you chosen to be wise and reached out to God and given thanks for his wonderful love and deeds in securing your salvation, won at such a cost, yet given so freely. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. Amen.